Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 9th, 2020. The share ID numbers for Friday, August the 7th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,119, that's 15119. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 15,120, that's 15120. This morning, A Vision for You presents Chapters 8 and 9, A Changed Perspective. The big book teaches that to get over drinking, and for us, compulsive overeating, will require a transformation of thought and attitude, a changed perspective. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, a change in the way we think, a change in the way we feel, and a change in the way we behave. The prism through which we view the world, in which we view others, in which we view ourselves, is changed, transformed. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, are set aside and a completely new perspective and new attitudes begin to dominate us. Nonetheless, a life in recovery includes facing challenges, and nothing in life challenges us more than relationships. Relationships. They are our ultimate challenge for the same reason that they are our ultimate joy. Relationships, especially with family members, are about growing, giving, understanding, tolerating, loving, and changing our perspectives. They are about showing unselfishness and kindness. This process, when sincerely engaged in, challenges every fiber of our being. No role can catalyze inner growth more than the roles of spouse and parent, child or friend. Yes, there are many challenges and readjustments, new skills of communication and compromise to develop and practice in our life of recovery. Joining us this morning is Shannon M., a recorder. Covered Compulsive Overeater from California. Shannon will bring to life Chapters 8 and 9 based on her personal experience. Shannon is devoted to her spiritual work, committed to her growth in the program of recovery, and she's here to share her experience, strength, and hope with all of us today. And it's with great appreciation and delight that I welcome Shannon to the line. Good morning, Shannon. Good morning. Thanks. That was a um, perfect introduction. I'm uh, Shannon M. Recovered, and I'm actually in Texas. Um, I do have a California number. I was born and raised there, um, but I am now in Texas. Um, and these two chapters, uh, eight and nine, 
are actually my favorite, favorite chapters um, in the book. I kind of feel like they're almost like the forgotten chapters. Um, we talk a lot about, you know, the first chapters and where all the step work is. Um, but it wasn't until I got into these two chapters that recovery for me really uh, changed. Um, so I want to start with where I was when I first read To Wives. Um, because my perspective was very different. I was very closed off to it. Um, it was back in 2009, so I was only 22. I was not abstinent. Um, I was not abstinent. I was not sober. And I was um, just a very sarcastic, angry, um, it completely in the food and I, I had just graduated college. I got a job at a treatment center. My friend uh, got me a job there. And uh, I don't recommend that job if you are not abstinent <laughs> with whatever uh, your, you know, whatever your issue is. Um, for me, compulsive overeating. And uh, so I was just not very good at it. And um, I only lasted three months. And in those three months, I gained 30 pounds in three months. That's how much eating I was doing. Um, and part of the requirement for working there was you had to read the big book. And uh, so I read it and I was like, oh, yeah, this makes sense for, for these alcoholics and drug addicts that I'm there working with, but I don't have any issues. And um, I, uh, I had to read to wives. And uh, when I read it, I got so angry at the big book that I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, I had been raised by a very uh, abusive alcoholic father, and um, prior to getting that job, uh, he had just been put in jail for stabbing someone, and he had threatened my life and my mom's life and to kidnap my brother for three years. So three solid years every single day, I lived in constant fear and panic. So coming in and reading to wives, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, um, I felt like they were telling me that I had to, you know, coddle the alcoholic. And so that's, and that's how I wanted to take it. That's where my perspective was at the time. Um, and it even says at the beginning of chapter nine, that, um, you know, they might, that the impression that alcoholics be wrapped in cotton wool and placed on a pedestal, like, uh, that might seem like what the perspective you get reading to wives, but that is not the case. And it says successful readjustment means the opposite. But that's where my mindset was the first time I read this chapter. I failed to notice on page 114 where it talks about sometimes, you know, the mental state is too abnormal or dangerous. And so it's not going to, you know, it won't work. Um, but I failed to to see that part. I just saw the parts I wanted to see. Um, but I'm eternally grateful for that job that I hated so much because one of the women there ended up needing to go to OA. I had never heard of OA, and it was my first introduction because we had to take her to the meeting. And I got that checklist, and I checked every single box except for two. Um, now, I didn't think gaining 30 pounds in three months was a problem, but then when I read the checklist and saw, like, oh, I guess I do have, uh, I might have this. And I went to my first OA meeting, and uh, 
Thank God, because um, I would not be alive right now. I'm completely convinced that I would not be alive had I not have come into OA and even found out about it. And um, I got into the program. I started working it. Um, the group I was in never really focused on uh, Chapter 8 and 9. and um, But we did work out of the big book. Um, for me, it was not a a healthy um, group. I was given a plan that I was told I had to follow. Um, I ended up getting to be 20 pounds underweight and I was very, very sick. Um, and other than, you know, following the food plan, I just didn't really have recovery. It was more about compliance than surrender for me at that point. And I was great at compliance. Um, I'm a type A personality. I love checklists. I love you know, doing anything that's going to make me feel like I'm perfect. Um, so I was really good at doing that. But I didn't get actual recovery. Um, and during that time, those three years, I moved to Texas. I met my husband um, in another program. We um, moved back to California. And then I, um, I left that group. Um, it had gotten to the point where my physical health was so bad that it just wasn't, um, it wasn't working anymore. And I didn't have that freedom. I didn't have joy. I didn't have freedom. So for me, I was like, what's the point of doing program if I'm going to be miserable? Um, and so I had a six-year relapse. And in those six years, I got filled with so much rage and anger um, I tried to control my food so much and I got to another new bottom. Um, and I didn't realize how bad it was until I read to wives again, um, this, the second time in recovery. Um, it had gotten to the point that I, I was suicidal. I had two kids. Um, I was married. We're living back in Texas. We live on a farm with my mother-in-law and, um, and every day I would wish that I was dead and I wanted to kill myself. And the only reason I didn't was because I was on antidepressants at the time and I had two kids. And I was like, I can't do that to them. Um, but had my kids not have been here, I, I probably would have because the food was so bad and I just couldn't stop. And all I wanted to do was stop. And my relationships were just terrible. I didn't have a relationship with my husband. Um, we were headed towards divorce. Uh, the only reason we weren't divorced is because he strongly believes in uh, marriage um, since he went through some stuff as a kid. And so for, for our kids, he was like, no, we're going to make this work. Um, otherwise, we, we would have been divorced. Um, I didn't have a relationship with my mom. Uh, because she actually used to work for me in uh, California, and I was so cruel and so mean to her. And then I didn't have a relationship with my brother. He's um, almost eight years younger than me, and he um, I was extremely emotionally abusive to him um, growing up when we were going through everything with my dad. And then after that, I still – we're just very different in general, but I just um, – I was just very cruel and uh, that sarcasm was so strong that no one wanted a relationship with me and um, 
so that's kind of where my mental status was um, coming into program again the second time. And uh, I came in, I worked the steps, and um, I was still on antidepressants at the time for my um, postpartum depression. And uh, I just... I didn't get the relief. I still didn't get it. My relationships were still just in complete chaos. I still, my husband could care less. He honestly did not care that I wasn't drinking or wasn't eating. He was like, okay, that's great. Like you're not eating, but you're still so difficult to live with. And, um, and he was right. And so, and that relationship was just falling apart. And, and I couldn't understand why. And I felt like my life was just in so much chaos. And I was like, it should be better by now. I'm not, I'm not eating. I'm not binging. Like, give me some credit. And um, it says on page 122, cessation of drinking is but the first step from a highly strained abnormal condition. And so for me, I could put anything there, cessation from eating. Like, yes, okay, so I wasn't eating anymore. Like, that's great. Um, kudos. But that doesn't mean anything. I was still being rageful. I was still being controlling. I was still being emotionally abusive. Um, so just not eating isn't enough. It's just, and even just working the steps, it's not enough. I have to actually have a spiritual change. Um, I have to change my thinking. I have to change the way I'm acting. I have to change the way I respond. And, um, and I wasn't doing that, but at that time, I, um, I I reached out to, I'm on a WhatsApp mom group for other OA moms, and I reached out and I said, I'm struggling with this and I need help. And someone suggested the um, special edition on, it's a, on the family afterward, a panel discussion from 2017. I listened to that, that um, panel and it changed my life. Um, so if you haven't listened to it, I highly suggest that um, because I listened to it and for the first time I really heard how my behavior, like I, I blamed everything on my husband. It's my husband's fault. Like he has all these things he needs to change, not me. Like I'm not eating. <laughs> and um, and then I really saw like, wow, all of the abuse, all of the ways I have treated him the last six years of my relapse and then as I've gotten into program, of course that's why he's reacting to me the way that he is. Um, and I didn't, I honestly, I just couldn't see it. I couldn't see it at the time. And um, so in that chapter, you know, I just, I got really into it. I got really into the family afterward. I started reading this chapter every single day and, and I would read a paragraph and I would journal on it and I would really reflect on it and try and see like, okay, where's my part with this? Uh, what am I doing that's causing these? And it even, you know, it says in there that father was mainly to blame and I didn't like that when I heard, when I read that in this chapter, I was like, mm, no, I mean, he's still, there's all these things wrong with my husband. And um, it makes me laugh now because, I mean, I'm so lucky. I have such a great husband. Um, he's amazing. I uh, have been very sick the last two months 
Um, and he has taken care of everything and never gives me a hard time about it and is so considerate. Um, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't have gotten into this chapter. But, um, when I got into this chapter, it kind of, um, it set a fire underneath me that things need to change. And I did join another program where they had me read to wives and go in depth with that. And now this is when things really changed um, because I was supposed to read this chapter and relate it to my experience with, you know, with my alcoholic father, or, you know, even my mother-in-law or whoever. Um, but I couldn't. The whole time I read this chapter, all I could think about was with my husband and my mom and my brother and what I put them through. Um, so that's, you know, I couldn't think of how it was, how I was affected. Um, and that was the first big change for me. So when I read this and I saw that, um, you know, for, for the wife or whoever it is, they, um, they had long rendezvous with hurt, pride, frustration, self-pity, misunderstanding, fear. Um, they've been driven to bitter resentment and gone through one extreme to the other, hoping that one day their loved one would be themselves once more. And their homes were uh, battlegrounds um, many, of, many an evening, and in the morning they would kiss and make up. And, and I read that and I was like, wow, like that is what I put my husband through. That's exactly what I put him through. And even my, my mom and my brother growing up, um, my home, wherever I'm at has always been a battleground always. So, you know, if, if it's a battleground everywhere I go, it's most likely me. It's not everybody else. Um, and and I saw that, I finally saw that this time around reading it. And I saw that I created so much chaos, so much chaos with them. Um, and it talks more on about how, you know, the wife would, um, wouldn't want their husband to go out with them. Uh, it says, when we're invited out, our husbands need so many drinks that they spoiled the, the occasion. If on the other hand, they took nothing. Their self-pity made them kill joys. And, and that was me. Um, my husband never wanted to take me anywhere because he always knew I would go and I would try and sneak all the food. And, and then I would sneak the food. And then I would, on the way home, because it wasn't enough food ever, because I had to control how much I was sneaking, um, I would just be so terrible. I would be so mean. I, would, I, have, I had some serious anger issues and um and so he would actually guard the food he would not leave the room where the food was and so he couldn't socialize well because he was always standing by the food so I couldn't get it so I'd have to sit there and wait for him to use the bathroom and then I would try and sneak as much as I could without him seeing um and and the whole thing was just complete madness um but I just connected so much when I read this and I could see how I'm the compulsive reader. I'm the person that these wives are trying to deal with. And it was really humbling for me to be able to see that and to see that 
all the destruction I had actually caused. Because at this point, I still was like, mm, I just don't think I did that much. Um, and and I think a lot of it for me was I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to be like my dad. So I didn't want to be the cause for all the destruction. And when I had to really swallow that huge chunk of truth that, I was doing the same thing he did. I was being a rageaholic. I was being emotionally abusive. Um, it was really hard for me to to see that and um, to admit that because I know what I went through. Um, I have years of therapy for what I went through. and um, But now I see the difference. The difference is, you know, I, one, I don't have an extreme mental illness, so I am able to see what my behavior is, thank God, and and to, you know, find a higher power and to work the steps and to change, and he doesn't have that ability. Um, but one thing that seeing that connection, why it was so big for me and why this chapter was able to work for me is that I was finally able to have compassion for my dad because I was able to really see like he did not have a choice. You know, he didn't have a choice. He couldn't do anything different. And I finally had compassion for that. And I finally moved from that state of anger and rage to, you know, sadness and, um, and grief, you know, it's a loss. And uh, and I stopped talking to him. I stopped allowing communication. I blocked everything. And and I was able to just focus on my family and my behavior and not be stuck in this constant cycle. And it was extremely powerful for me. Um, and uh, so, it, anyway, it goes on further to talk about, you know, the battlegrounds. And then we would make up and then we'd be ourselves. Everyone would try and forgive and forget. I don't know how many times my husband did that with me um, or even my family. They constantly, they just wanted to have a relationship with me, but they just didn't know how um, because I was just so unpredictable. And um, it even says like in the midst of uh, such pandemonium, they may have rushed out <laughs> threatening to live with another woman forever. I never threatened to live with anyone else, but I, was the type that I would just rush out. Um, we would be arguing and I would literally just get in my car and drive away. And I did this with my kids. Like not, I didn't take my kids. I left my kids here with my husband, but I would do this. And my son was like three. I mean, he's not going to remember it, you know, 20 years from now, but he remembers his mom just leaving and not knowing, am I coming back or what's going on? Um, that's how unpredictable I was. And when I read these, that's what came up um, when I was reading this chapter. And uh, it was just great to be relating it um, in that way this time. Um, and just seeing how really what this chapter did for me was seeing how I, how I made my husband feel and how I made my family feel. And um and how I built that wall around me. Um, I wasn't accessible to them. Um, I wasn't loving, kind, tolerant, even in program, even in program, once I started coming back, I just wasn't there yet. And, um, 
and there's so many other good things in Twive. So I really encourage you, if you haven't read it recently, to read it and to really look at it in that perspective versus um, I know a lot of people, like I did before, just read it and think, oh, well, this is, you know, this doesn't really relate to me um, because it does. It relates so much um, to us and, and to me and how I, how I was. Um, and um, let me see. It talks about um, our home being just a near wreck. And, uh, and it was, I mean, I was headed for, for divorce and, um, and so I read this. So this is what really helped start changing my perspective. And so after that, then I um, went back to the family after afterward um, and started really getting into that and seeing, um, okay, well, I'm still having problems. Like I see my part. I see what, you know, I need to be doing. But it's still, like we're still arguing almost daily. Um, my relationships with my kids are terrible. I'm not relating to them. I'm not connecting to them, um, especially my eldest. And, um, and my life is still completely unmanageable. Like I'm just, I was not giving up control, uh, to a higher power. And I, I would, would say too, a higher power has been a difficult concept for me since, um, you know, for 10 years since I started program the first time I was raised atheist, um, I was taught that it's weak to believe in a in a higher power and you need to just pull up your shoes from your bootstrap and and support yourself and do what you need to do and um and and that's how that's how I was raised that's what I was taught and um when I started doing program it was uh frowned upon uh I was told it's uh abusive to talk about a higher power to your kids um so just you know maybe not the healthiest uh, family of origin environment. But um, so it was kind of hard for me because I felt like I was doing something wrong uh, by believing in a higher power. And so that's been um, a very slow spiritual experience for me. Uh, but nonetheless, it has happened. Uh, you know, if we keep seeking, it happens. And I just keep seeking and it happens. And uh, for me, nature is very spiritual. So I when I'm in my garden or, um, I mean, I live on 80 acres of a farm, so there's lots of nature around me all the time. Um, and I just do find that very spiritual. And, um, if that is something you struggle with, uh, I use personally, I use, uh, the tree from Pocahontas or I use Mo uh, and Moana to Fiti, And that is my higher power. That's what I have as an image for something when I'm trying to, connect or when I'm doing meditation, um, that's what I, I talk to because uh, I like to have an image. So that's really helpful for me or one of the trees on my farm. Um, but uh, sorry, that was a side note. Um, but anyway, so I started really getting in to the family afterward and just really looking at where I was being selfish and self-centered um, and getting honest with um, what I had put my family through. And, um, and then I, I saw too, um, cause something my husband was always getting very upset about was I was putting program before, before them. 
Um, and he's in program too, so he understands the importance of it. He he knows that I have to do program, but I was getting to the point that it was there was just no balance, and it talks about that in the family afterward. It talks about how we go to extremes on page 125. So whether it be work or program, you know, things spiritual, uh, the natural inc inclination is to go to extremes, um, which is very true for me. You know, if something makes me feel good, why only do one of it when you can do 100? You know, that's just how how my, my brain functions and works. And um, and so I didn't, you know, I couldn't overdo it on work uh, because I, I'm a stay-at-home mom now. Um, although I tried, um, I was like, okay, like I, now that I'm better, I'm going to overclean the house and I'm going to overplan activities for my kids and just be so extreme about it. And, and like I said, I live on a farm with two little kids, my husband, my mother-in-law, her great Dane, our dog and a cat. There's no way I can keep this house clean. Um, it's impossible. So in trying to do that, I was just getting more irritable and frustrated. And my husband would be like, just don't clean. I don't want you to clean anything because you're just terrible when you clean. And, um, and so I had to look at that and see, okay, I'm being extreme with that. And then I was being extreme with program. Um, I believe in doing program. And I believe program has to be first. Um, if I don't do my program, I'm not going to be able to be of service to my family. Um, but there's a difference between living for program and then doing program to live. And I was not doing program to live. I was living for program. And all I was doing was program. So I would take calls whenever. I had no boundaries. Um, I would be on the phone all day. Um, I would listen to the whole meeting. I was just neglecting my family's needs. Um, I had lots of sponsees and I was just working with them all the time. I, whatever time they wanted, I was like, okay, I can do it. Like I have to say yes and I have to be of service. And that's not the case. Nowhere in the big book does it say that. It, it says that in the family after we have to have balance. It talks about balance multiple times. It even talks about it a little bit in the um, to wives. So I have to have balance. Um, and it says here uh, on page 119, the fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Sometimes he will be so interested that he becomes really neglectful. Right there, I was being so neglectful. Um, I was not being of service to my family. I would be like, I have to talk to, oh, sorry, that was into wives, not family effort, but I would have to um, work with a sponsee and it'd be, you know, my kids were in their quiet time yet, but I was like, well, I just, I got to do it. And I would be yelling at my kids that they needed to hurry up and do whatever they're doing because mommy has a phone call and I have to do this. That completely defeats the purpose. If I'm yelling at my kids to do something so that I can then do a program thing, it's not working. Um, and I didn't see that. And, uh, and it says to, you know, father will necessarily spend much time with other alcoholics, but this activity should be balanced. So when I read that and when I got into that, I was like, I had to really reassess how I was doing program, um, and how it needed to fit into my life. Um, I couldn't work program 
as a 32, 33 year old mom of two kids married, like I did when I was 23 and single. I mean, it's not going to be the same. I can't go to a meeting every night. I can't work with people at all times of day. Um, and so I had to reassess that. And my, and my husband had been very upset about how I was neglectful of family time. You know, he'd come home from work and I'd be on the phone. Like, well, I would be like, well, someone's calling me. Like, they need me to help them. Like, don't you want me to help someone? And I would manipulate it. And, um, and I would, you know, I thought I was superior. Um, and on page 129, it talks about that. And when I had read that, I was like, whoa, that's exactly how I was. Um, because I always felt like I, it talks about, you know, dad may feel that for years his drinking has placed him on the wrong side of every argument, but that now he has become a superior person with God on his side. If the family persists in criticism, this fallacy may take a still greater hold on father. Um, instead of re- treating the family as he should, he may retreat further into himself and he and feel he has spiritual justification for doing so. And that's, that, that paragraph is literally what I did. Um, and I would just say like, well, you know, I'm doing program. Why don't you work your program? Like I was always throwing digs like that at him. Um, and what I found after doing lots of 10 steps, really what it is, is I had a resentment that he didn't have to work the program as much as I did. You know, he was able, he had a huge spiritual experience. His, his experience in program has been completely different than mine. Um, but he's also not a compulsive overeater. You know, it's it's a little bit different. And um, and I was just mad that he he doesn't have to you know talk to his sponsor regularly or do the different things. So I would throw those digs and be like, well, I'm better than you because I'm doing program this way. And he um he would just say, well, if you work such a good program, why are you still mean to everyone? And uh, he's like, I'm not mean to you. He's like, I treat you with respect. He's like, you don't treat me with respect. He's like, I put you guys first and you, you never put us first. And um, and that, that was hard to hear. Uh, but he was right. You know, I don't need to be taking phone calls all night. I just don't. Um, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I can do some phone calls during the day. And, and just have that boundary like it's okay to have a boundary and it's okay to say no to things um it's okay not to take a call and to call someone back later uh but i didn't i didn't know that and i i just i I felt so i was feeling so good for the first time in a long time and so like it talks about in here that spiritual intoxication i was just so into it and that's all I wanted and I wanted more and more and more of it because I felt good and and part of it is I didn't want to face what was going on at home I could talk to people all day and and listen to what was going on with them or even talk a little bit about what was going on with me and and feel good or I could be at home and have to deal with the hard stuff you know and I just I wasn't ready um I was not ready and um over time, I became ready. I saw that I needed that balance, and I saw that um, I wanted it. I saw that I wanted to to treat him right, and and it talks about it in here for for the family that seeing is believing to most families who have lived with a drinker, and and I knew that it didn't matter how much program I did and how much I said or whatever. 
my husband needed to actually see the change. He needed to see it. He refused to let me make an amends when uh, I was on step nine because he's like, you haven't changed at all. He's like, I don't want an amends from you. I just want you to be respectful and to treat me right. And um, and he was so right. Like, um, And so some of the things I've done to help with that um, – is, you know, watching for those things. And it, and it talks about here, you know, having that spirit of um, tolerance and love and kindness. Um, it talks all about it in the in the family afterward, um, the attitude that I need to have with him. Um, and it talks about it, it's not an overnight matter. It's not going to happen right away. It takes a while. Um, and it has taken a while. But, you know, since not since coming into form, but since I started getting into these two chapters, it's been about a year. And in that year, uh, we go months without fighting. Um, I'm not going to say we don't like have small disagreements. Like, of course we do. We have two young kids. We're sleep deprived. Um, we're going to have small disagreements, but we don't have yelling matches. Well, he never yelled. It was me yelling. So I don't have yelling matches where I yell and I am disrespectful to him anymore. Um, we do have disagreements, uh, which is normal for two people who live together. Um, but it's respectful in a respectful and kind way, not in a criticizing spirit. And it talks about that in here. We don't go to each other in a criticizing spirit, um, or ridicule we just we go in a loving kind way and in the and to the wives you know if we feel like things are getting a little heated we just say okay let me let's pause and we'll come back to this and my husband and I are able to do that now um which is huge and and again that is not him that is completely me because he has never raised his voice he has never been disrespectful um, it's me. I'm the one, I'm the the problem. Um, with that, not to say he doesn't have his things, you know, but I'm the one that always took it to that extreme and took it to that disrespectful way. And um, and it talks to something that was really helpful for me on page 123. It talks about um how we've spent years pulling down the structure of business, romance, friendship, health, and they're now ruined and damaged. So it takes time to clear away that wreck. Uh, the old buildings will eventually be replaced by finer ones. The new structures will take years to complete. And um, that was helpful for me because I thought it doesn't have to be done overnight. Like I created so much damage and so much mistrust that it's going to take the people around me a while to trust that my behavior is going to be consistent. Um, I can't just act nice one time. It has to be a daily thing. So for my husband, yes, one argument, like we, you know, in the beginning there was a lot of like two steps forward, one step back because I would do well and I would, you know, connect to my higher power. We would have a good conversation about something we were arguing, but then the next one I would lose it again and and then you know that would that would create the damage again and so it took a long time and it took a lot of consistent work and an action and um 
really getting in tune with my rage. I do still have a rage problem. Um, it is a physical thing. I cannot control when it starts coming. I can feel it coming. And so I have coping mechanisms and tools that I can use now, uh, reaching out to other people, picking up that phone, um, doing that 10-step. Uh, I also do a thing someone in program taught me, a one-minute tantrum. So just like it sounds, I will go to my room and I will throw a one-minute tantrum. I have to physically get it out of my body, um, whether it be yelling into a pillow or hitting the pillow or just stomping my feet, whatever it is. Um, I go and I throw a tantrum just like my children do. Um, and, and that way I can refocus my mind and I can be present in the conversation and not let the rage direct the conversation. Um, so that's something that I've had to really – work with and learn how to to cope with um it's a lot better it comes up a lot less than it used to a lot of it is control issues not surrendering um and then sometimes it just is physical if something does trigger my ptsd from from my dad um and so i have to do a lot of self-talk of you know i'm safe this is not the same situation. This is a different person. Um, but it, it's required a lot of work and a lot of growth and a lot of awareness to be able to, to do that. Um, and, and my husband has seen that. And as a result, he is much more trusting. And he does, like, if sometimes, like, I've been a little cranky, he'll, he just doesn't say anything like he just goes on with it and he gives me grace um which wasn't the case before but the more consistent i am with using these tools and really just treating him kindly that's all i have to do is just treat my husband kind which sounds so simple but it has been very difficult um for me he is so much more responsive and um we have a great relationship and i mean we were going from getting divorced to now I'm we're, I'm pregnant with our third kid. So like we're having another kid together, um, which is not something I ever would have expected. And it's been a really difficult year for us. Um, you know, I, I miscarried at uh, 10 weeks with the first baby we were pregnant with. And then uh, I've been pregnant now, but I've been extremely sick um, this pregnancy. And so he but he has been there with me uh, this whole time. And it's just, it's amazing to me that that's the gift. That is the gift that these two chapters have given me is a relationship with my husband that is healthy. And my relationship with my kids is getting better. Um, especially my son, who is the one that I really struggle with. And um, we just started homeschool uh, that's what we decided for our family. So we're doing that. We started this week because it's so hot in Texas. We can barely play outside. So might as well start. And um, and it's gone well. And I haven't, you know, I felt the rage come up one of the days, but I used those tools and I didn't have to rage. Um, and so that alone gives me so much hope and motivates me so much more to just keep doing this program because my child like both my kids and then eventually this kid won't have to grow up with a parent raging at them because I know what that's like. I, I mean, I, I'm still coping with what that was like and my kids aren't going to have to grow up with that. They're not going to grow have to grow up with their mom, you know, 
me hiding in the pantry, shoving my face with food and then screaming at them because they have a basic need that needs to be met. Um, Cause that's what was happening with my son. Uh, Cause he was, you know, he's my eldest. So he had to deal with me in the food in his first years of life. So he, he would just have a basic need and I could not meet it. Um, physically, I couldn't meet it emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I just, I couldn't be a mom because I, the food was more important to me and I had to eat. And so I'm sorry that you need a hug. Like I need to be in the pantry eating right now. And, and so I just, it's so amazing to me that I won't have to like my kids won't have to have that as long as I do this program each day and I keep looking at myself, the ugly parts and all, you know, it's not, I don't like admitting that I have been emotionally abusive or that um, I'm a rageaholic. Like to me, those are just very ugly things um, because I've experienced them on the other side. And I hate admitting that I'm like my dad, but the thing that gives me hope is that things are changing, you know, whereas for him, it never changed. For me, I have this beautiful program and it can change. And what a miracle and a blessing. And I've even, you know, had better relations with my mom and my brother. And, um, and when I see them, cause they both live out of state and, uh, it's amazing that like we can have a relationship now and we can talk about the things that happened and, um, and we can have loving, a loving, kind relationship. Uh, we're not close, uh, close, close, um, but it's there and it's getting better. Like my brother will actually call me every once in a while and, and we'll talk. We still just in general don't have anything in common, but, um, you know, we just show interest in what each other is doing and, and that's progress. Cause before my brother had said, my brother has very healthy boundaries. Uh, I don't know how he got that and I didn't, but he, uh, he flat out told me years ago, he didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Did not want to have a relationship with me. Didn't ever want to talk to me again. He's like, you are a toxic person. You are not healthy for me. And I was like, he's crazy. It's all him. Like, it's not me. Um, but I was able to make amends to him. Uh, he came to visit, you know, a year or so ago and, uh, I was able to make amends and to be like, you are right. I was emotionally abusive to you. This is what I did. Is there anything else that I did and how can I make it right? And we had such a great conversation and, you know, I just, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for these chapters. It wouldn't have happened because I wouldn't have admitted that I was being that way. And um, I think that's just the power of these chapters for me and why I'm just so grateful because I get to have these beautiful relationships now and have supportive family members and, um, and just people that say, you know, Shannon, wow, like I've seen a change. Like you're not being a terrible person to be around. Like I'm not toxic anymore. And um, and that's how I know like miracles exist. And I know that this program works because I can go from being a toxic person that someone does not want to be around because I create that much, um, you know, destruction in their life to being part of their life again. And, um, yeah, so I would 100% say, I would highly suggest these two chapters and I could probably talk on them for like hours and hours 
for how much they have changed my life. But um, I will go ahead and stop there. Thanks. Thank you so much, Shannon, for your beautiful presentation this morning, bringing to life Chapters 8 and 9 through your personal experience and sharing with us in such an open and frank, vulnerable manner. Truly profound transformation that's occurred. Thank you so much. Today's share ID, 15,128. That's 15128 for the presentation this morning. the conclusion of this recording. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Shannon by pressing star one to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Terry K. Terry K. Jackie B. Jackie B. Kathy M. R. Kathy M. R. Signe G. Who who ended with G? Signy. Signy. Okay. Uh, and there was someone with the contact number, Shana. Yes, at the conclusion of the recording, that will be given. Gina M. Gina M. There was somebody W that I missed. Stacy K. Stacy K. Anyone with the last initial W that I thought I heard? Perhaps not. Okay, this is a great group. Let's get started with this. It was Terry. Laura W. Thanks, Laura W. So we've got Terry K., Jackie B., Kathy M. R., Sydney, Gina M., Stacy K., Laura W. Laura W. is going to have to pass, Leah. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Let's get started with Terry Kay. This is Terry. Can I be heard? I hear you. Thank you. Um, wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what what um, you shared today. Um, my question is, because I'm resisting the temptation to share, um, my question is, um, tell me about, if you could, whether your husband then did accept an amend, and if so, how that went for you? Um, good question. He did not accept an amend. He still does not want one, um, which was surprising to me since he is in program. Um, but for him, he's heard me say sorry so many times that it just, it doesn't matter. Um, and he, he's just said, I don't, I don't want to hear anything. He doesn't want to hear any kind of words. He just wants to see the action because um, seeing is believing for him. And, you know, he was, he dealt with me in relapse for six years and saw, okay, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to be better. And he was just like, Shannon, you're like a drug addict. He's like, you cannot stop. You're not going to be able to stop. It's an addiction. And, um, and it was so frustrating and heartbreaking for him. So he just he just wants to see my actions, see me be consistent, see me do my pro like he wants me to stay in program and um and just treat him with respect. So he doesn't yeah, no actual act you know, uh 
amends, but I also do an active service every day for him. So something I had learned in that special edition was doing an active service every day. And so I try and do that every single day. So even a day if we've been arguing or whatever, I have to do something kind for him. Um, and that has been helpful in the amends process indirectly. Thank you, Terry Kay, for the question. Jackie B, you're up. Leah, do you think that could have been Daphne B? Sure, why not? Go ahead. Um, thank you very much. Um, that was a great, great, great share, and I really, really appreciate it. And I was wondering, um, I know you talked about some um, practices that you put in place when that anger or rage comes up. I've worked a lot in my life. I also have PTSD, and I've worked a lot in my life in terms of um, dealing with that. Um, and I, to some extent, I think that I've been relieved um, by working um, the sixth and seventh step, but I still have it. And um, sometimes that might work and it comes up and, you know, I can't go into a room and, you know, get have a one-minute temper tantrum. So I was wondering if there's anything else that you could think of that you do to um, ward that off. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, good question. Um, I can't always do a tantrum either, especially, like, if my kids are right there and, um, like, we're outside or something. I don't want to be screaming and yelling. Um or if I'm like with other people. So I will actually clench my fists really, really hard, both of them. And I might even like turn around or you could go to the, the restroom and clench your fists and just clench my, I have to clench my whole body, that muscle just tense, you know, tension. And then uh, open my mouth and do like a fake scream. Um, and, and that helps uh, to just relieve and then I just like relax my body and it kind of relieves that. I also, um, something that was taught to me by one of my therapists was that, um, which sounds funny because we're in OA, but she would always remind me that I'm not in the hunger games. She's like, you're not in the hunger games. You're not fighting for your survival. Um, cause a lot of the things it's triggering from my PTSD and I do, you know, go into that mode of like, uh, panic and then I need to control something because my life is in danger. And, and it's not, you know, I'm safe, I'm protected. And um, so just reminding myself, like, this is not the end of the world. It's okay. Taking some deep breaths. Um, I did have to deal with this when I did work full time uh, before my kids were born. And, um, and I would just have to remi keep reminding myself, like, Shannon, you're not in the Hunger Games. You're not dying. Like this person can't hurt you. It's okay. You don't have to control every situation. But taking that moment to pause um and pray is really helpful but the physical part is what i need so that squeezing of your whole body even if you're not making a sound um for me has been really helpful thank you daphne k for your question kathy mr star one to unmute hi this is kathy mr uh compulsive overeater thank you so much for this talk I cannot believe how much this is speaking to my current um, situation. I was raised by a rageaholic who was raised by an alcoholic. And um, my mother now, I am her caregiver. She has early stage dementia. And I find myself, even though I'm in recovery and I'm the only one 
in the family who ever had a program, finding myself battling rage with her all the time. And it's my rage, and um, she is combative sometimes. Um, she's still – anyway, I, I, I think you answered um, what I was going to ask. I think you just answered in the last reply. But I find myself wanting techniques as I pull up to her house in the driveway. Just, you know, I like what you said about the one-minute tantrum. I mean, I have the opportunity to do some of this in my car before I walk into her home. And um, – the clenching and everything. So I just want to thank you. And if you have anything to add, that's great. But I think you answered it. So God bless you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you're welcome. I would also suggest maybe something I do if I know that I'm going to be going into a situation where my rage might come up or frustration, I bookend the um, the thing with a phone call. So I'll call someone beforehand um, and I'll call someone after uh, it is whatever I'm doing. So I'll just call and set the intention of, hey, I just want to check this in. I want to get these feelings out. You know, I'm about to go do this, and um, I might have some rage that comes up. Here's what I'm going to do if that situation happens. Um, that's helpful for me. I also, every single day, I have a fellow in program I talk to every single morning, and we set our intention for the day. Um, and it's just another fellow. It's not a sponsor, um, but that's been really helpful for me. So I can set that intention like, hey, like this is coming up. I might be, you know, that rage might get triggered and this is what my intention is for today. And that helps me just to stay connected to my higher power and what I'm supposed to, what, you know, I'm supposed to be doing that day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy MR. Sydney G. Your turn star Hi. one. Two. Yes. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, this is actually Signy with a G. Well, good morning to you. Thank good morning. Uh, yeah, hi. This is Signy G, recovered in um, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for a really incredibly generous and vulnerable and beautiful share. I just found so much of it so helpful. And I would say that the question that I was going to ask was just kind of asked twice already. Um, but maybe I'll come at it from a slightly different angle. Um, I really relate to everything you're sharing about, um, you know, being triggered and, and having, um, you know, patterns of very kind of um, angry or rageful response. And I guess what I'm wondering is, um, you know, as we're working on not having that response in ourselves, then then still there will be times when, we will actually, say, within our marriage, need to advocate for ourselves or work through problems or, you know, draw new boundaries or bring up things that are troublesome. And obviously we don't want to do that when we are in this sort of rageful or angry space. But I wonder if you could talk about, you know, once we've dealt with that inner response, that triggered response from ourselves, if you have any feelings about how to use program to... Um, I'm not sure if I'm asking this properly, but like to work out those things when we are in a calmer space, like what that looks like for you in those relationships, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, cause those kinds of things come up like with me and my husband, um, and I can go to it in a helpful 
way and to say, hey, this is a need that I have, because um, there's a difference between need and want. Um, a lot of my wants are selfish. So yeah, I want like a lot of things for him to do. But there are certain things that I need. And um, if I go to him like that now, like uh, in the beginning, he really wasn't responsive at all to anything I said, which makes sense. And I wouldn't have expected him to be because I had been so um, abusive. Uh, so once we got past that hump and I was able to calmly bring stuff to him and say like, hey, like this is a need. This is something that I need for you to do. Um, it's We're in a relationship. It's a two-way thing. And um, if I brought it to him that way, um, and and sometimes he was responsive. Sometimes he wasn't. Sometimes he was like, "Here you go again. It's all my fault." Like, and and I had to, you know, see that I created that response after you know years and years of me just constantly blaming him for everything. Um, one amazing thing about him, he will come back and be like, "You know what? I thought about it, and and you're right, and and I will try and be better about this." And so I just, I mean, I lucked out in that he is that way and he wants our relationship to work so much. Um, but I have to be super careful about whether or not it is a need or if it's a want. And I have to, you know, do a 10 step on that or like talk to someone about that to see like, am I being selfish and self-centered or is this something that, you know, is really actually important. And, um, and that's it, having that, um, clarity in the situation has been really helpful um because there's a lot of things that i don't actually need like he he provides all of those things for the most part um so there are very few things that are actually needs usually it's a want or it's a control issue um it's you know me wanting to uh be the actor and set everything up which you know, he will tell me, he's like, oh, you should read that part in the big book about the actor and on the stage. And, and that's just my clue to like, okay, like I am getting a little bit controlling right now. I need to tone it back. Um, and if I, and when I do that, when I change that behavior and I tone it back right away, then he's, you know, more receptive to the other things. Um, and that's where the growth in our relationship is. Um, so hopefully that helps. I don't have any specific examples. I just can't think of any um off the top of the head of something that I've needed recently because we haven't I've honestly just been so sick for the last uh, few months that we haven't really had any uh, major disagreements of stuff um, so hopefully that helps thank you Sydney Gina M your turn thanks Leah mm -hmm. um, Shannon thank you so much gosh it's just amazing that I came on the call when I did, I, I really needed to hear you uh, today. And my my question mainly has to do with something that just happened, and I'm still trying to understand how I manage it, is that a lot of times my rage, my my reaction comes when I don't expect it, when I don't want it. A lot of times there's situations where I start out feeling really good, and it's usually when a stressor comes in, like something goes wrong, and that's usually it. Something goes wrong, and my reaction is a snap reaction. I I can't I can't control it. It's it's a it's a fear. It's a it's an anxiety, and all I can do afterwards is is, is apologize. And sometimes people accept it, and other people don't. And I usually do it immediately. But my question is, you know, what happens when it's like it just you you don't even see it coming, you know, and that you that 
the stressor just sets you off and you can't even plan for it? That's really what I, I need to know for me. Yes, good question. And I was so there in the beginning. That's exactly where I was. I I, I just it, I couldn't even control it. Like it would just come, and then all of a sudden I would just be in a rage for like for however long, and then you know that remorse, horror um, afterwards of I'm so sorry. Like I, you're right. I was out of control. I did this. Um, so it really was just a lot of praying, um, a lot of you know today like higher power please help me see when those triggers happen help me to pause help me to reach out to someone help me to take a deep breath it's just all in that pause um there's that good special edition on the power of the pause too which i would suggest um that was really helpful for me um and just like i i know i've become very in tune to the physical part so when it's physically starting to come i can feel that rage coming i can feel myself getting triggered I know it's going to happen, and if I don't do something, then it's it's going to take over, and I'm not going to be able to control it. Once it takes over, once it gets to a certain point, I cannot control it. It just comes, and and I, it's like an out of body experience. Honestly, it's kind of like you get I get high from it. Um, I get high from the rage, and um, because it does create that physical part, and you know all the hormones or whatever in the brain, and um. So I have to be very, very aware, and it's taken a lot of practice, a lot of like really hard, um, hard work to be like, okay, okay, I'm feeling it. What am I going to do? I need to walk away from the situation. I need to, I have to do something. I have to take some action step as soon as it starts coming. Otherwise, it does get to that point. Um, and gosh, I was doing that all the time. I mean, I was raging multiple times a week, and now it happens maybe every few months, um, every couple months. And, and sometimes it'll, I'll yell at my kids. Um, there's a difference between like yelling and raging, um, to me. So, um, I will raise my voice, but, um, but there's just a difference. I'm not like going into a blind rage of like 20, 30 minutes of just nonstop screaming. Um, but hopefully that helps. It's just getting that, taking that pause, taking that time to pause when you feel it coming. Thank you, Gina M., for your question. Stacy K., your turn. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for your service, Leah and Shannon. Thank you so much for your share. I'm Stacy. I'm a compulsive leader in Colorado. And, um, yeah, thanks for shining the light on these two chapters, especially two, two wives, you know, gets a bad rap. Um, and we, and we don't study it enough. There is a lot of good stuff in that chapter, and, and I appreciate um, I was thinking about two things. One is um, somebody else highlighted this um, line in the family afterward. He is not likely to get far in any direction if he fails to show unselfishness and love under his own roof. And I just love that. And um, I've been tired of um, doing the same 10 steps over and over again, you know, on my husband and on my kid. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I was just wondering how your 10 steps have changed. You know, have they decreased in, you know, intensity and, you know, duration and all that stuff? Or is your 10 step look a totally, totally different? Because I hear what I hear you saying is the, the problem isn't outside of me. 
you know, it's internal. It's me. You know, even in Al-Anon sometimes, you know, we're talking about the alcoholic. We're talking about the addict, you know, and mm-hmm. instead of looking at, you know, our own stuff. And I just was wondering if how your 10 steps look now compared to maybe before you were, you know, had this awakening. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, they do actually look different. Um, so I still, you know, I don't have as many 10 steps, um, mainly just because we've been quarantined for so long. So I'm not really um, around as many people or having to interact with as much. Um, but when I do them, a lot of times I look at where is my unmet need? Like what is it that's going on or what is it? Is there something triggering me from my childhood or something with my dad? Um and it's really important for me to see that. Um, I started doing that once I got involved with a different um, program um, that's created a lot of healing for me because um, a lot of my rage and anger was, you know, something would be happening and it'd be triggering me from when I was a kid and I'd be flashbacking to, well, this happened then, so that must be what's happening now, and I would go into that fight mode. Um, and so recognizing that and being able to separate those reactions like okay this is not the same situation this is not the same person this is not the same thing that's going on at all um because like if my husband brought up one thing i would immediately go into this um mode um, that i had gone into as a child and um, so just being able to see that and heal from that and being able to heal um, certain things of my childhood that's been um, that's been really helpful but so my 10 steps do focus a little bit more on that like I still look and see like what is it affecting um, where am I being selfish dishonest um, self-seeking and and what's my fear um, but when I'm doing the fear I'm looking more that underlying fear of what is this actually triggering um, from? And, you know, slowly but surely, I can I can notice it right away now, like certain things that are going on, like, oh, okay, like this is this, and, and I can talk myself through that um, situation, and my PTSD has gotten so much better, um, like so, so much better. But um, that's been kind of helpful in just looking at my 10 steps that way a little bit more um, and having grace with myself because um, I never used to have grace. So when I would look at my part, I was very, very, very harsh on myself and I wouldn't accept any imperfection. Like I just always want to be perfect. Like I was that straight A student that, again, that compliance versus surrender kind of mentality of just I needed to be perfect at all times. And so when I do those 10 steps, giving myself some grace, um, not, not being harsh on myself, like I still need to look at my part but I don't need to beat myself up either. Um, and I can look at the progress rather than the perfection. Um, yeah, so hopefully that helps. Thank you for that question. Thank you, Stacy Kay. Anyone else have a question? We have time for a few more. This is Jaina with a J. Larry. M. Larry K. Larry. Leslie Z. Leslie Z. Matthew B. Matthew B. 
Surrey C. And Surrey C. Okay, that's our group. Gina, with the J, go ahead. You're up. Okay, thank you so much, Leah. Thank you, Shannon, for, um, boy, this is so thought-provoking. Um, <clears throat> my mother was the rageaholic, and when she raged as me, at me as a child, my reaction was the shrinking violet. I would just shrink smaller and smaller, wanting to disappear, wanting to escape her rage. And I find that that is triggered in me um, in multiple ways. And um, I was wondering if you experienced that type of reaction at all as a child. Thanks. Um, Thank you. I... um was a little more on the defiant side. So when my dad raged at me, instead of just not saying anything, Shannon, and we seem to have lost you. Star one to unmute. Can you hear me now? Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. It just randomly muted me. Um, Sorry. Uh, So I was saying uh, I was um, the opposite. So I was really defiant and I would curse at my dad or I would uh, say smart comments back to him um, because it was my way of controlling. So, and, and it was a pride issue. Like I wasn't going to let him beat me. And, um, and so I would just, be very defiant back instead of um, shrinking. Um, And that's kind of just how I've always been. So even in relationships, instead of shrinking and like not getting my needs met, I make myself louder until I can um, almost like bully someone into doing what I want them to do so I can be in control. Um, So that was the way I um, reacted with my dad. It would have been a lot easier had I not have done that. I probably wouldn't have gotten like punched and stuff, but you know, that was just my way of controlling, I guess, the situation. Thank you, Gina, for the question. Larry Kay, you're up. Hey, Leah, thanks uh, for your service. And Shannon, what a beautiful job showing your vulnerability, um, helping people and thereby helping yourself. What a great thing. Okay, so with that out of the way, my question, um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've heard it said that with anger, because, you, you know, that's a theme, and it was a theme for me as well, um, the, the, the powerful impact that shame can have in fueling anger, this toxic shame. And I wonder if you could speak to that, um, this toxic shame, if you identify with any of that. And maybe in reference to even when you got down to your step four and kind of seeing your part of it, you know, clearly your dad was, you know, there was an original offense there for sure. But then, you know, getting to that place, I think a lot of people oftentimes getting to that place of seeing where your part in it was going forward. Could you speak to that, those things, if that makes sense, Shannon? Yeah, that's a great question. I had so much shame. I was so ashamed of who I was and how I was. And uh, the more shameful I felt, the meaner I got um, because I just 
I was so mad at everyone else and I wanted other people to um, hurt like I did. Um, and so I had a lot of shame for, for the way that I had um, behaved, the emotional abuse, a lot of shame that I was like my dad. So it was so much shame um, in that thing. And, and it wasn't until reading those chapters and, um, and really connecting with my dad in a different level of seeing like, yes, I behaved like him, but I, you know, I can get better. Like, thank God, thank God I can get better. Um, and, and, you know, he, he, unfortunately he can't, um, some people are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And, um, but I don't have shame that I'm like him anymore. Um, because my life can be so much better. And, and doing that other program really helped me with that shame and that cycle of, um, you know, being emotionally abusive, feeling shameful, um, and doing it all over again and just getting stuck in that same cycle. And it also helped me see that there is a cycle of alcoholism in the family. And um, it started a long, long time ago in my, my genetics and my family. And, and so both of my parents were raised in those abusive homes and they did the best that they could. And then I have done the best that I could until, you know, until you know better, you can't do better. I didn't know better. And I didn't know that certain things weren't normal. Um, you know, it also talks about our alcoholic life seemed the only normal one. Like I really thought certain things were normal. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, my eyes were opened when my higher power was like, okay, now it's time for you to see some stuff that's not normal. Like it's not normal for this behavior to happen. It's not normal for these relationships to be like this or um, just different things. Um, then I was able to see that and change that. Um, but I don't have shame anymore for my eating. Um, you know, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. And I don't have shame for, for my rage or the way I've behaved because I didn't, I didn't cause it. Um, I honestly can't control it and I can't cure it. It's not going to ever go away. It's there, but a lot of it's gone and, and it is getting better. And that's what gives me hope. And then, you know, as far as like with my resentment inventory with my dad, um, I am not responsible for any of the abuse that he did. However, I am responsible for carrying that and using that as an excuse to treat other people the way I treated and using him as an excuse to, to eat the way I ate or to, you know, when I was younger, sleep around and have unhealthy relationships. And, and I use that a lot. Like, oh, well, if you had a dad like me, you would act this way too. Like, it's okay. I'm allowed to behave this way because I had a really traumatic childhood. Um, and that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Um, and so I don't use him as an excuse for my behavior anymore. Even my rage, he's not responsible for my rage. I am. And, um, and I'm, well, I'm not like, it just physically comes, but I'm responsible for what I do when I start feeling those triggers come, just like I'm responsible for what I do. If I feel the urge to eat, that has nothing to do with my dad. If I, you know, that's, I'm a compulsive overeater. I was born that way. And, um, and it's what I choose to do, what action steps I choose to do. So I can't use him, um, as an excuse. And, 
thankfully, you know, I don't have anger and resentment towards him anymore. Just that, um, that sadness and that loss, which is normal. And I don't think will um, ever go away because it is a loss at the grieving process. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that answered your question. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Leslie Z, your turn to ask a question. Hi, um, this is Leslie. I'm, oh wow, I've got a weird echo. Um, this is Leslie. I'm, I'm a compulsive eater and restrictor. I live in Idaho. And thank you, Shannon, so much for your generosity and, and just willing to be honest because I know how hard it is to talk about stuff like this, especially to a bunch of people. Um, I, I have, I have a similar background. Um, both of my parents were addicts of, of different varieties. Um, I, I didn't, I emerged with a tremendous amount of PTSD. It, it doesn't manifest as rage, but if there are other behaviors. Um, and so, so I do have definitely that, that child of alcoholism. I have to make sure that everybody else around me is feeling okay. I am married to someone who we've been married for 25 years and I don't think he's ever enforced a boundary in his life. He's very passive. Um, we get along great. Um, he just lets me get my way. Oh, Leslie, in the interest yes? of time, if you could pose a question. Please. Right. I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah. Okay. So my question is about boundaries. When you were talking about right now, I'm just like all recovery all the time. And I worry in my relationship that I'm in too many meetings and not spending enough time with my husband, but he's never said anything like that. Do I wait for him to complain about it? Because I've never had him complain. I don't, I, the boundary, when you're talking about boundaries, that really triggers something for me, but I don't want to do with it. So, sorry, that was my question. Thank you. Um, yeah, I would, um, I mean, you could always check in with him, just saying, you know, hey, like, I just want to check in with you and, and see how, you know, if you have any feedback or is, is this um, affecting you at all, um, you know, being considered. My program looks a lot different now. I mean, I don't usually get to listen to a full meeting because um, I have two kids yelling at me. And um, I just, I do the best that I can. But I, um, I just don't take calls when he's around. Um, and, like, on weekends, I do quick calls. Like, I always have my morning accountability partner we always call, he knows that. And then I might take like a quick five to 10 minute call throughout um, the day or something. But um, I just try and be respectful of the time where it's just me and him and my phone isn't around. Like I put my phone away so that it's just me, him and the kids. And I'm able to just be present with them because I'm trying to fit myself to be of maximum service, you know, to my family. Um, but checking in with someone, there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Leslie Z, for your question. Matthew B., your turn to pose a question. Hi, good day. I am Matthew B., a compulsive reader. Shannon, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your share today. Um, my question is, in my codependency, in, and I so related to this comply or surrender, I'm trying to surrender, but I'm struggling with am I complying? I want to make everyone else feel happy. And when I feel the need for a step 10 or a need to walk away or a need to, to, I love the idea of going and taking a one minute rage in the bedroom. My problem is transitioning from the conversation to realizing what's happening to me and stepping away from particularly the family at that moment without them going, oh, there he goes again, can't control himself, he's got to walk away. Because I too used to jump in a car and drive away. How, what's the healthy way mm -hmm. to 
again, looking to comply, <laughs> what's a healthy way to transition mm-hmm. from that moment to to then going into what I need to do to cope? Yeah, that's a great question because um, they would get kind of upset if I'd walk away in an argument since I did used to, you know, run away in the car. Um, I just had to explain, like, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm trying not to rage. And I feel myself getting upset. And it talks about that in those chapters. Like, you know, this is getting a little heated. Um, I need to take a break and we can come back to it. And so just um, telling them that, like telling my husband, look, I am getting really worked up. I don't want to rage. I'm going to go in the back for a minute and then I'll be able to come back out and we can finish our conversation. I just need a moment Um, And if he gets upset, I mean, he gets upset. People are allowed to get upset with us. It's okay. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong in that moment. I am doing what's best for my recovery. I'm doing what's best for the relationship. It's much better for him to get upset at me for taking a moment away to calm myself than it is for me to end up raging and yelling. Um, That's going to end up doing a lot more damage. And over time, he's come to trust that, okay, like she's coming back and we'll be able to talk about it without me screaming and yelling. Um, And we can have an actual adult conversation about something. So it's taken time and a lot of practice, um, but he's, he's turned around to it. So um, it just takes that consistency and that, and that practice. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Matthew B. And our final question today comes from Suri C. Your question, please, Suri. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much for your um, share. Um, okay. Uh, the first question is if you could repeat the uh, special edition that you spoke of at the beginning of the of your share, um, because I, I didn't write it down, and I'd love to watch listen to that also. The other one is the first big book that I that was in my house was from my ex husband who actually brought it in. I never asked him why. Um, but it seems that he felt a need for it either for myself or for him. How do you differentiate when, when you do have that argument, um, what your part is when you, you mentioned when you shared a couple of times that your husband was also in a program of recovery. Um, how do you differentiate what your part is? Um, and I guess that falls into like boundaries and balance as well. Yeah, um, the special edition was, um, it was the family afterward, it was a panel discussion from May of 2017. Um, And then uh, differentiating, um, usually I have to, I have a list of like uh, character defects and I can look at my part on it and see exactly like where my parts are. Um, but a lot of times it's talking to another compulsive overeater um, fellow. And I have a lot of fellows that work um, dual programs, so I usually try and talk to them just because they can look at it um, at a different perspective. And they help me see um, if the thing is a need or a want um, and the different, different, you know, differing that and, and finding the right boundary for certain things. Um, but really it comes to talking to other people and then praying on it and really just saying, God, help me be honest when I am looking at this. Help me be honest looking at my part, even if it's ugly, even if I don't want to see it, um, like show it to me. Um, so just like humbling myself uh, to seeing seeing my part. Um, hopefully that answers 
the question. Um, thank you, Suri. Thank you to all who posed questions this morning, and of course, thank you so much, Shannon, for giving so much of yourself this morning to all of us. Thanks for pulling back the curtain on your life and sharing how the program of recovery has made such a profound impact on your attitudes and your ideas and your perspective on life. Thank you so much. We're going to close again this year ID today, 15,128. That's 15128. And we're going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.